March 20th, 2022. Do you realize it's been two years since March 17th, 2020, that worship at Emmanuel United Methodist Church changed in the sense by COVID? That there were so many who gathered, who brainstormed, who adapted, who navigated, who showed up over these past two years to make the reality of worship not just on Sunday morning, but on every time that we gathered, whether we gathered in person in this place or we gathered online uh, to make it happen. What a day, what a year, what a two years, but what a glory that we have as a community who has persevered, who has maintained, who has dreamed, and who has stepped forward to make it a reality. So thank you uh, to many of you and to many of you who have made that happen for us. Let's pray. Gracious and holy, almighty God, as we gather this morning for worship, we recognize uh, where we've been, what has taken place, what has happened, and where we're headed. Lord, thank you that... It's your presence that has guided us, that has equipped us, that has comforted us, that has consoled us, that has convicted us, that has um, led us to continue to be a faithful church and community who worships, who seeks your presence, your face, who hears your word and shares your word, who communicates, talks, sings, Lord, for our opportunity uh, to gather in your holy presence. Thank you that we don't have to just be in this building for that to be a reality. And help us, Lord, as we uh, continue to figure out what that looks like in the years ahead. I pray for your presence with us here this morning as we share in these Lenten times of reflection and understanding of our relationship with you. Lord, set aside those things that inhibit us or prohibit us from growing close to you. In your name we pray. Amen. One month ago today was the closing ceremonies of the Olympics. Isn't it hard to believe with the atrocities that the world has been through over the past month that it's only been a month since the Olympics were concluding? You know, the Olympics were fun to watch, as usual, but it was something about all the controversies that overshadowed the pomp and circumstance that usually surrounds an Olympic Games. I recall the Olympics this week when I heard that Michaela Schifrin won her fourth World Cup overall title this week. Do you remember her? That's one of the images from the Olympics that I remember is after I think it was the second race that she did not finish sitting in the snow for 20 or 30 minutes right after she had failed to, to uh, capture the gate that she was supposed to go around. If you remember, Michaela Schifrin's an alpine skier. She was one of the Olympic favorites for the USA. She was one that was expected to win multiple medals, maybe even five medals in each of her individual races. But she finished ninth, 18th, and had three DNFs, which are do not finishes, and a fourth place in a team event. It had been eight years, eight years that she had only 
DNF do not finish three times in the solemn races. And in the Olympics, she had three DNFs. It was one of the shockers of the game. But who was to blame? What would come of Michaela Schifrin? Would she recover? Would this overshadow her career and define her for the rest of her life? But on Thursday, she held a 20-pound clear crystal globe of the fourth time winning the World Cup overall title. She had overcome. She had persevered. Today's scripture starts out with a blame game. It's a blame game about two obscure events that we really don't know anything about. It's almost like those who bring it up are using them to trap Jesus, using them to to see what he would say and how he would respond to what had taken place. But Jesus doesn't fall into the trap. Instead, he uses it as an opportunity to teach. His parables, an agricultural parable that essentially asks us, how do we intend to live? What will our life amount to? We're reminded with Jesus we can overcome the sin in our life. But how? I invite you to join me in our scripture this morning as we explore how. Through the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Join me in the Bibles before you, your devices or Bibles you've brought with you this morning. Luke 13, verse 1. At that very time, there was some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent you will all perish as they did. Are those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for the fruit on it, and he found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on the fig tree, and still I found none. Cut it down! Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I almost worked for the Olympics. Perhaps I've shared this with you before, but it was 31 years ago, almost this week, that I went to the United States Olympic Committee in Colorado for an interview. An interview to see what it would be like to become an intern, or I didn't know what I'd be interviewing for, but to work for the Olympics. Several interviews, several people, an amazing place. They practice ping pong at least six hours a day. I love ping pong, but that's a lot of ping pong. I was most fascinated by this huge swim tank that a person would swim in, not going anywhere, but they would be analyzing their stroke with all these cords that were hooked to them. 
And of course, as a 22-year-old, the steak buffet and unlimited Dove bars were pretty appealing also. At the end, I was offered an internship. Room, board, and $5 a day. <laughs> now, this was quite an opportunity. I'd have helped prepare for the 91 Pan Am Games in Cuba, first time going there. It would have been the Barcelona 92 Olympics, the 94 Winter Olympics in Norway. This is when the Olympics were dividing between, you remember the years that the, the winter and the summer were not in the same year. But graduating from college, staying in a dorm room with roommates, making $2,000 a year, room and board too, it was hard to swallow. I seriously considered it, but I wanted to make more out of my life at that time in my life. I don't regret that decision, but it's one of those decisions I find myself reflecting back on. What if? What if I had taken that internship? What if I had taken that job? Where would I be today? What would I be doing today? Where in the world would I have been? Do you have a decision in your life? that you almost made, that you really considered, you contemplated understanding or not understanding what the circumstances might be around it. And perhaps if you had accepted or made that decision, it would have changed the course of your life. At the United States Olympic Center, there's no room for almost athletes who give a half-hearted effort or when they do not finish, quit trying in their sport. In the Christian faith, though there's, an abundance of, uh, though there's an abundance of grace, there's no room for being an almost Christian. Now don't misconstrue this. Please try to hear me. The church is full of sinners, and it should be. The church is a training ground where we are transformed by Christ and equipped to live our best life for Christ. What I'm talking about here is not about effort, but what I'm really talking about here is heart. John Wesley, you remember John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church? And his sermon titled, The Almost Christian, helps us understand this better. And I paraphrase his words. The almost Christian knows that God's word is true, but will not commit themselves to following it. They may live a good moral and even religious life and even go beyond others with regard to human compassion. Their humanitarian spirit causes them to give to others that which they have need of. They may hate all unrighteousness and sin in society to the point of protesting and petitioning against it, but he or she does not recognize the sin in their own life. What must we be about in our life and as Christians to go from being an almost Christian to one who fully embraces and lives the faith as exemplified through Jesus Christ? I think today's passage begins to lead us there. I think it's this season of Lent that helps us focus. And today... The, the word, the means through which we focus is repentance. Repentance. 
Have you ever heard of the Olympic motto? We hear a lot about the Olympics, but can you recall the Olympic motto? Sitius, Altius, Fortius. Sitius, Altius, Fortius. It's the Latin for faster, higher, stronger. It was proposed by Pierre de Coubertin upon the creation of the International Olympic Committee in 1894. Coubertin borrowed it from his friend Henry Dyden. Henry Dyden was a Dominican priest and an enthusiastic person about athletics. Faster, higher, stronger, good ideals for an athlete, and I believe good ideals for us as Christians as we seek to not be almost Christians. Faster in the sense of dedication, focus, honing in. Higher that we are striving for God. Stronger that we're intentional about practicing the disciplines of faith. It's this season of Lent that's a good time for us to evaluate our journey. It's a good time to look and see if we're living as almost Christians or if we're fully dedicated to the cause of Jesus Christ. One big difference, though, in our faith journey And an Olympic athlete's journey is that we begin out of humility rather than strength. And humility, a foundation of humility is repentance. Repentance. The first part of today's scripture talks about repentance. It refers to two events, one involving Pilate and the other the Tower of Siloam. We don't know anything about the Galileans who were killed making sacrifices or the Tower of Siloam and its falling. There's speculation about what these historical events perhaps were, but they tend, as you begin to read the passage, to overshadow the passage. But I don't want to focus on those events and speculation. I want to talk about the personal issue. How we deal with sin. And the life we tend to live in the face of it. The first step of repentance is recognizing that there's sin in our lives, in all of our lives, and that we all need repentance. Repentance is not just an attitude of regret or saying we're sorry, but it's a decision. A decision to change our ways which brings about a conversion. How do we do that? We don't. God does. He does the changing. In early Israelite history, there is more awareness of corporate sin, or, or, or the sin of the nation rather than individual. People would gather together and go through rituals and sacrifices, lamenting and confessing, and this was done more on behalf of the whole group. Around the 8th century, you begin to see a little change here when the prophets appeared. There was a stronger emphasis on individual conversion and corporate conversion was criticized as shallow and a process rather than true conversion. Amos? Recall Amos? Who's Amos? Angry prophet. Angry prophet. Minor prophet. A prophet in the Bible in the Old Testament called corporate conversion and empty ritual. 
Hosea? Loving prophet. <laughs> Another prophet, minor prophet, refers to this type of conversion as like the morning dew that goes early away. In the sense it quickly dissipates. Micah? Prophet of the end of time. In, there you go. A third prophet who refers to an inner conversion manifested in justice, kindness, and humility. But the New Testament when, uh, <clears throat> offers us an idea of repentance that goes a step further. It focused on a new way of thinking, turning to the Lord. John the Baptist was a proponent of his calling people to authentic conversion. And the symbol of the conversion was baptism. Jesus linked the coming of his kingdom with repentance. What all this tells us, what all this leads to us, is that repentance is an ongoing process. And during this season of Lent, we talk about it, we name it, we call it out. Because we seek to put to death the sin in our life as we prepare to share in Christ's resurrection at Easter. Now, if you remember the Olympic Games, there are some pretty gruesome games. I can't imagine of all these aerials that snowboarders and skiers do. I can't imagine going downhill around flags at 80 or 90 miles an hour or riding the luge open down a hill. Who knows what might happen? These athletes have to be in shape. Part of their discipline routine is getting rid of things in their life that impede them from being the best athlete they can be. Next, their approach, their performance and steps. No one could be the fastest skier the first time on the course or do a quadruple axle on the ice skating ring. But at some point you have to go for it and take advantage of the opportunities you have. It takes years to develop skill and one has to be committed to the long haul. Thinking of Michaela Schifrin, I also recalled Nathan Chin. You remember Nathan Chin, the ice skater? When he was 10, he predicted he would be in the 18 Olympics. He went, he had some falls, he made some mistakes and setbacks. But in 22, what did he do? He won gold. Some of the greatest Olympic stories are about those athletes who've returned or overcome their setbacks. What setbacks have we or do we need to overcome? And what will our life amount to because of them? At the end of today's scripture, we hear this parable about a fig tree. We can compare it to living as an almost Christian or living as a fully committed, sold-out Christian for Christ. A man has a fig tree in his garden. For three years it's produced no fruit and he wants to cut it down. The gardener asks for one more year. We wait to see what happens. Thinking of the fig tree is one of the memories that sparks for me of my grandmother. She had a fig tree in her backyard. Loved to go to the fig tree and pick the figs and she would peel them and we would eat them for breakfast or for snack or any time. I still like figs today. 
I remember, though, that one time the tree wasn't very healthy, had gotten a fungus, and we had to trim it down to take the fungus off. And the tree never recovered and produced very little fruit from there. During biblical times, it was not unusual to find a fig tree in one's vineyard. The soil in the area was shallow and poor. So anywhere you could plant a tree, you did. And you hope it lived, and you hope it grew, and you hoped it produced fruit. If it did, you were glad. If it didn't, you would replace it. Two quick reflections this morning. When we're not carrying out the function we're created for, disaster can strike. If the fig tree, if the fig tree does not produce fruit then it will be cut down and another planted. If an Olympic athlete doesn't practice their sport over and over and over again, they will not be able to compete or they won't be able to be successful or they'll hurt themselves in the efforts. If we don't practice the disciplines of faith, if we don't seek to draw ourselves closer to God through prayer and through scripture and through worship and through fasting and many other means. Then sooner or later when we're faced with temptation or struggle or we even fall, it's hard to pick ourselves back up. It's hard to complete the journey. It's hard for the effects that that might have caused to our life or those around us. Pretending to be a Christian is the same thing as an almost Christian. Jesus did not almost die for our sin that we might live for him sometimes. Second reflection. If we only receive or take in, we won't survive. The fig tree was using up precious soil. For three years it had been doing this. It was time to cut it down and give another tree a chance. I think part of the beauty of the Olympics that I like is the stories that come from it. To see the athletes who performed, who go back to their hometown, their colleges, their universities. They establish places in which others can train and others can reach their potential. Their lives, other lives become better. The sport becomes better. People's lives are impacted, changed. If you and I approach the faith only in a means of what does the church do for me, what can I get out of it, what benefit is there for me, then it won't survive. Very little will be put back into it. We won't be satisfied. The needs increase. We'll run out. The resources will run out. Somebody would have to cut us down or knock the building down. Or we could focus on growing forward and strengthening the community around us. Abraham Lincoln said, die when I may. I want it said of me that I plucked a weed and planted a flower wherever I thought a flower would grow. And I hope that can be said about me one day. 
The gardener in the parable pleads for the tree to be given one more year. A fig tree usually takes about three years to produce fruit. Jesus' message of forgiveness is full of second chances. I hope we hear that in the midst of this sermon on repentance. As we become aware of our sin and deal with it, God is a God of second chances and his grace abounds. But there comes a time when we're given that final chance. The gardener says, we'll cut it down next year. When is that final chance for us? I don't know. How does that look and operate and work? I don't know. But I know this when that time does come. It's not that God has not given us any more chances. It's that we've ignored the ones that he has. Lent. Repentance reminds us that we have another chance. But why do I need to repent? If I'm going to die anyway, it won't save me from dying. Salvation is not about dying. It's about living. There are lots of things that have potential to overshadow our life. Let us not be defined by this dirt or simply in the end just take up the dirt around us. But leave something for years to come that produces fruit. What are you living for? What fruit? are you bearing for those around you? The name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Lord, be with us during this Lenten season. As we journey towards Easter, we recognize there's much in our life that needs to be dealt with rid of Lord help us help us to surrender it to you help us to change our ways and Lord may you fertilize the ground around us that what we do will bear fruit and bring glory to you in your name I pray. Amen.